Welcome to the Life Academy Podcast. Hi friends, Doug Pratt here, speaking to you from the studio of First Presbyterian Church in Bonita Springs. This podcast will be a Christian perspective on the American spiritual landscape, part two. We talked in the last podcast about the current reality that we have moved into a post-Christian or Uh, Some would call it a post-Christendom era in the United States and in Western Europe and North America as a a whole. And in this time, we are finding that Christianity, unlike the previous 1,700 or so years, is now culturally a minority and not influential. In fact, the culture has moved on to a post-modern or post-Christendom time. And because Christians are in a minority, including Uh, Those of us who are older and have lived through this tipping point, this change, it is a difficult adjustment for us, but we are encouraged by the example of Christians in other times and places who have found themselves in a minority and have lived faithfully, and we're also encouraged by the New Testament, which was written to a minority group in the first century, and it gives us great insight into how to be faithful in a time when we are not in control and when we are a dim light shining in a dark place, we might imagine. We talked last time about a new book that's been out for less than two years, written by Christian scholar Rod Dreher, entitled Live Not By Lies, in which he warns us about a coming soft totalitarianism or a tremendous cultural change that puts pressure upon Christians to conform with uh, predominant thoughts and predominant actions and values. And we talked about Dreyer's insights into how Christians in the hard totalitarianism of uh, Soviet communism and Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain managed to survive and thrive and maintain their strength as dissidents and not give up their faith. And so we have learned from that. We've looked at the significant differences between that time period, Europe post-1945, and America in the 2020s. And I ended that first podcast by reminding you that perhaps the most significant difference is found in the American Constitution and our legal rights. Now I want to tell you about another book, one that has come out very recently, just a few months ago, written by Kenneth Starr. Many of you will remember Ken Starr as the um, independent counsel during the Whitewater controversy. Previously, he had been a U.S. Circuit Court judge and the Solicitor General of the U.S. under George Bush 41. He has since been Dean of the Pepperdine School of Law and then President of Baylor University. He's a committed Christian and a brilliant legal mind. And he has written a very timely book entitled Religious Liberty in Crisis. The book is available now, and uh, here is uh, the breaking news to share with you. Ken Starr has accepted an invitation from First Church to speak 
in our sanctuary in Bonita Springs on Tuesday night, February the 1st of 2022. He'll be with us for a book signing. He will talk to us about the principles I'm going to share with you in the next few moments, and he will be available to answer questions and in all ways to carry out what he feels is his most important mission right now, which is to strengthen and encourage American Christians finding themselves in a minority position and knowing and knowing how to use our constitutional rights. It's a very timely topic. And I hope you'll be able to uh, be with us that night if you're in Bonita Springs or to watch the live stream that we will provide. Ken Starr wants us to know and be firmly anchored in the timeless, incomparable First Amendment to the United States Constitution, which gives this profound set of principles. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The immediate implication, well known to people in the early days of America, was that the United States, unlike all the countries of Europe, would not have an official, state-sponsored, tax-supported, and mandated denomination. That was so liberating. That is exactly why the Puritans, starting in 1620, made the perilous passage across the Atlantic Ocean to be in a place where the oppressive Church of England didn't try to tell them how to practice their faith, but they could be free. That is the foundational principle. There will be no state-sponsored and established church forcing people to be members or to follow its requirements. But the flip side, now even more important in our post-Christendom era, is the corollary of that First Amendment that says, the government may not prohibit the free exercise of religion. Thus, Ken Starr points out that these two principles functioning something like the two sidelines of a football field in which all the action must happen between. And if you cross over one sideline or the other, the play stops and you must return to the field. Here are the two sidelines that are essential. First, the principle of non-establishment. And second, the principle of non-discrimination or bias against the practice of religion. These two must go side by side. They must both be enforced. There are times in our recent era when government officials have violated the second of those principles, non-discrimination. We have seen it during coronavirus shutdowns when governors ordered churches to be closed but allowed casinos and tattoo parlors and other so-called essential businesses to remain open. That is discrimination. And the Supreme Court, after a few months of uh, political appeals, ruled definitively that that was outside the bounds of the First Amendment. 
We've also seen it with public school administrators in various places who have attempted to prevent religious groups from meeting in their facilities while allowing other voluntary or community groups to meet there. That's bias. That is discrimination. And every time a case like that has finally been adjudicated, those petty tyrants of uh, school boards and uh, principals and so on have been rebuked and their policies have been reversed because they have stepped out of bounds and demonstrated blatant discrimination against churches. Recently, a Supreme Court case settled in June rebuked the Philadelphia Welfare Department, which had passed a law requiring that the uh, Catholic social services could no longer be uh, given uh, permission to assist in legal foster care and adoptions because they were faith-based and had, as a part of their religion, positions on marriage and homosexuality. And when this case came before the Supreme Court, it was demonstrated that Philadelphia had discriminated against, on the basis solely of religion, the Catholic Church, and thus that was reversed or rebuked. The Supreme Court has repeatedly, even though at times belatedly, upheld First Amendment rights. And these should continue to trickle down to lower courts so that lower courts, uh, federal and state and local, should know and judges should be aware that they will be reversed, which is greatly humiliating uh, to those uh, judges and those courts, if they attempt to step out of bounds of the First Amendment's clear guidelines that while the nation, the government, cannot enforce or encourage religion, it cannot discriminate against or prevent its free practice. Ken Starr, using a number of cases through uh, the courts, primarily the Supreme Court, has demonstrated for us some of the key principles that have been held as a central part of American jurisprudence. Judges, for a couple hundred years now, have developed these principles, one of them being autonomy, that groups of citizens have the right to govern themselves without state interference, except in very rare and exceptional cases. Thus, churches need to be free to choose their own leaders, to hire their own pastors, to function consistent with their own faith and beliefs, and the government must give them autonomy and freedom to operate in uh, themselves. A second principle is accommodation, that the state is obligated to make reasonable accommodations to people's beliefs and practices as long as they don't harm others. For example, a Christian woman wearing a cross around her neck to a workplace might receive a complaint from a non-believer in that workplace who claims to be offended by that. But the state has no right to force her to remove that cross if she's not directly and demonstrably harming that other person. A third principle is equality, 
that churches and religious groups cannot be treated differently from other non-religious nonprofits. Starr's uh, assessment, his analysis of the current landscape in the USA in the year 2021 and beyond in relation to our religious freedom is as follows. He offers a number of negatives to be aware of from his perspective. And then he offers some positive perspectives as well. The negatives. Number one, there is a cultural elite, a ruling class, we could call it, who are clearly hostile to faith, and some of them would very definitely like to eliminate it completely from society, from our public life. Number two, this ruling class will use unfair and brutal tactics of cancel culture and other soft totalitarianism tactics to try to impose uniformity. Number three, he warns us that tolerance often morphs into intolerance. Number four, he points out that the biblical position on homosexuality and marriage is often going to be attacked, has been attacked, as harmful and unloving, at least as defined by those critics. Five, he points out that secularists ignore many of the ways that religion serves the social fabric. They blithely uh, turn a blind eye to all of the obvious good things that churches provide and will claim that they are a threat to the society when in fact there is no way if churches disappeared and Christian-based nonprofits that government could ever hope to fulfill and step in and uh, take over uh, the positive effects that uh, Christians are living out. Ken Starr warns that um, there are a number in federal government today and in some states who are um, openly a threat to Christianity. We need to know these facts. We need to be uh, informed. We need to be equipped and prepared. But he offers us these positives. First of all, the Supreme Court, as currently constituted, has a strong majority of originalists Originalists being those who take, for example, the First Amendment seriously and are committed to upholding it, including the two sidelines of non-establishment and non-discrimination. Second, he points out that we have a number of Christian legal groups who are well-funded, who are very skilled and very vigilant, and are available whenever a blatant threat against the First Amendment uh, emerges to step in and provide substantial assistance. And third, he points out that many Christians are likewise vigilant in conservative media, uh, both uh, on the internet and broadcast media and even in print, while in a minority compared to the dominant um, leftist position of most of the social media, print media, and broadcast media, those who are of a Christian worldview are not without advocates and voices. He wants to warn us, and I think he is timely in doing this, that Christians, as much as they are tempted to fight back, fire with fire, believers in Christ are not to use certain tactics of Satan, of the enemy, 
even though they may seem to be effective because they corrupt us. The ends do not justify the means. Resorting to lies, resorting to slander, resulting, uh, resorting to other forms of uh, unfair pressure, even though it may be very tempting to use them for our own defense, will ultimately weaken us and weaken our credibility and take us away from our Lord. So there are weapons that are not available to us that are to our opponents, but we have weapons they do not have, and we are to use them. Now, I want to offer uh, my own uh, observation of a couple threats to the American church that I perceive, and then uh, offer you some hope, hope that inspires me. One of the threats that we are facing in the American church is uh, what's known as progressive Christianity, a viewpoint that attempts to water down or even uh, recompute the basic teachings of the Christian faith to, as its proponents profess, make it more palatable to an increasingly secular world, but in my conviction, uh, so waters down the faith that it makes it irrelevant. But progressive Christianity has impacted a number of denominations, is currently splitting the United Methodist denomination in half, has certainly impacted the Presbyterian Church and many other of the historic denominations. And it is a threat to us that we need to be equipped to answer and to resist. A second threat, I believe, to the church in America in 2021 is uh, the uh, dramatic uh, implosions due to scandal and self-inflicted wounds of prominent megachurches and Christian ministries. Not only the Roman Catholic Church's tremendous problems with sexual abuse by priests that have um, dated back for decades, but also many uh, prominent evangelical uh, churches who have become caught up in internal squabbles or political problems or uh, immorality on the part of their leaders and uh, has caused a, a great shame and caused some people to be uh, shaken in their faith and to uh, be disillusioned or to be uh, deeply wounded. We have been our own worst enemies in many cases. Now, some of these ministries will bounce back. Others of them will never recover. Uh, prominent uh, ministries uh, such as uh, one led by a well-known author and evangelist Ravi Zacharias have collapsed in a sexual scandal and probably should disappear completely because it has been so tainted. So that's the second concern. First is progressive Christianity. The second is self-inflicted wounds even by the evangelical church <clears throat> due to its sin and its misconduct. Uh, and third the effects of the coronavirus in 2020 and 2021 have uh, certainly impacted negatively a lot of congregations that were forced to close to protect their members or under orders of overreaching governments. And those churches are struggling today, many of them. Some of them will never recover, never get back to their place of strength. Some people have fallen away from the church, fallen out of the practice of worshiping God, and they will not come back. Others will have returned or will return gradually, but uh, certainly the church has been wounded 
because of the effects of coronavirus, as have so many other areas of life. It's not just the church that has suffered. But uh, because of this, a number of pastors are retiring out of stress and exhaustion, and I don't think there are enough leaders in the pipeline to uh, fully care for all the churches that need them. So we've got some serious times ahead for us to recover from that. Well, where is our hope? Obviously, our hope is in the Lord and always is. And um, I want to end by sharing with you a couple brief quotes and a fascinating illustration that I found in uh, a book recently entitled Things Worth Dying For by Charles Chapit, who's the recently retired Archbishop of Philadelphia. And Bishop Chapit says this, the church is always weak, but her Lord is always strong. Empires and tyrants, ideologues and cynics, thinking they are all powerful, have learned the hard way that the church will survive beyond them. And they have all gone down in the dust. The church and the word of God remain. And so it is not our mission to make truth triumph, but to testify for it. And God will handle the rest. He's good at that. Finally, Chapit tells a story about uh, a time in his uh, youth when he was studying at a Catholic university in Paris. And uh, a small group of students in his class were invited by their professor one day to take a field trip to a, a huge, beautiful chateau in the Loire Valley of France, where one of the great examples of medieval spiritual art was displayed. The students were eager to see it as they arrived at the chateau. A docent met them and took them in a back door and wound them through narrow staircases. And they came into the great room, the huge, vast, um, soaring, ceilinged room at the top floor of the chateau. And as they walked in a side door, they encountered a huge piece of cloth, of fabric, uh, perhaps 20 yards wide and five yards high. It stretched on and on. And as they walked into what was obviously the back of the room, they saw this fabric with just thousands of little pieces of multicolored threads sticking everywhere. It was an absolute jumble, a hopeless mess, covering the entire fabric. The docent explained, this is what the artists who worked for nine years to construct this amazing tapestry saw most of the time. And then he led the small group of students around the tapestry to face it front on. And there was a majestic portrayal known as the Apocalypse of St. John capturing in remarkable colors and detail the entire sweep of the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. And the students then could see the brilliance of the artists and how perfectly it all fit together. But the docent reminded them, on the other side, it looks like a mess. That, I believe, is a very good picture of what life is like for us, looking at the backside of the tapestry, seeing all the seemingly 
random and chaotic events as the strands of fabric and yarn pulling this way and that with no sense of meaning and purpose. But God sees it from the other side. And one day we will as well. And the things that we don't understand in this lifetime, one day will make sense. So in the meantime, as all we can see is the backside of the chaotic tapestry, I encourage you to join me in a daily reminder that God is still in control and that our battles, our struggles, our seeming frustrations, setbacks, disappointments, and chaos in this world is all going to be woven together in some way by the master artist. And so we don't give up and we keep working and we keep seeking to be faithful in the unique time and place in which God has placed us. Our challenges are unique, but they're not in any way fundamentally different from what other generations and other countries have faced. This is just our time. Let's be faithful. This is Doug Pratt, concluding this podcast of the Life Academy. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us for this Life Academy episode. We encourage you to subscribe. And if you enjoy our podcast, please share it with your friends and family.